Welcome to the Digital Woman Power Podcast with me, Rita Faramey, Editor-in-Chief of Rich Woman Digital Magazine. My guest today is Stefan Leipold, founders and CEOs of Leipold, Stark, and Process Co. Stefan founded Stark in 2017, a technology company that designs, patented, develops, and sells the world's first magnetic privacy screen with or without camera shutter for Apple and Microsoft designed for service devices. He brought nearly 20 years of information technology expertise in the company. The company Stark had been featured in national and international radio, TV, online and printed media and grossed over 500,000 USD in only eight months without any outside equity backing or significant marketing. Stefan Leopold graduated from University of Hanover in Germany and received his MBA in systems engineering. He holds a total of over 70 professional certifications with CompTIA, Microsoft, Cisco, Nokia, Linux, and eConsole. He is also the founder and CEO of ProCisco LLC in, in 1998 when he founded the company, an international provider of IT or cybersecurity services, where his focus on customers' efficiency and execution led to significant company growth. Prior to that, he spent three years of Microsoft or New Horizon as a developer of the learning program Walking for the USA and EU, ultimately serves as the company's lead trainer, guiding a successful effort to streamline operations, strengthen knowledge acquisition, and drive growth. Public speaking about cybersecurity in the common business field, yachting industry, and business development is the way of giving back to society for Stefan by raising funds, speaking at universities, college panels, government events, corporations, and personal mentoring in the United States, Europe, and Asia. Stefan is, is an ally of Habitat of Humanity, Red Cross, Leukemia Limofa Society of America, and the Good Dog Foundation, nonprofit organizations that help ease human suffering. So I'd like to welcome uh, Stefan to the Digital Woman Power podcast on Rich Woman magazine. Hi, Stefan. Beautiful. Good morning. That was long. Uh, <laughs> you have a long, much. long bio for sure. Oh, well, it's, it's actually longer now, but I will say to shorten it. So beautiful. Good morning, everybody. Yes, thank you for your time and willing to inspire women around the world about technology and all things digital, Stefan. And I'm so glad to have you here and I'm so glad to have to know you as well and learn a lot from you about cybersecurity. That's why I've invited you to this podcast because of all your achievements in the information technology and cybersecurity space. You are a high-profile person globally, but very humble indeed. What an inspiration. 
So Stefan, before we continue, are there anything that I missed from your bio that you want to share with us before we start the interview? No, I think a lot of stuff is online, so it's all good. Thank you so, so much. All right, let's um, get into it then. So my first question to you, Stefan, can you please share with us how did your journey in IT and cybersecurity space started? When I was a little boy, I think the biggest gift my, my parents gave me was a computer. And yeah, I, I found it fascinating and I bought computer games and I removed the copy protection and I sold it to my friends. That was probably my first enterprise. Um, that's, that's basically how it started. I was just fascinated by it. Um, yes, go ahead. Oh, no, I didn't know if you can hear me because I got like a message saying like the signal is gone. So could you guys hear my answer? Uh, the last the last one minute, we kind of like was cut off. Okay. Yes, so can please let me repeat myself. So when I was a little boy, around about eight years old, I actually got a computer and I was really fascinated by the technology. So I learned a little bit of programming and I also bought games and I removed the, the copy protection and I sold it to, to my friends, whoever could afford a computer. It was basically my first enterprise. And yeah, from there on, I was just growing up with the technology. I spent most of the time in front of my computer learning about when the first CD-ROM drive came out and all this kind of stuff. So I basically grew up with it and I'm just still fascinated by it, I'm speaking. Great. So do you remember a time in your life you're afraid of going into the digital space? I wouldn't be saying afraid. There was a moment that I was afraid, but not of technology, because my friend and I, when we studied, technology was not as secure or not secure as today. We had a challenge who can actually hack UUCOM. And so we both hacked UUCOM at the same time, and uh, we were sitting next to each other. And then I showed that I did it. I got into the servers and I, I just got out and my friend was copying data. And then basically <laughs> a couple of days later, the police showed up. And the good thing was actually they didn't arrest him. You come offered him a job and uh, luckily they never got me, but I was actually afraid of uh, getting punishment for what we did. So that's probably the first time I was really afraid, but otherwise I never did it again. I was actually more doing the opposite way. I was assisting uh, different governments of finding bad guys. Okay, so you turned out to be the good guy then. Or what inspired you and led you to decide that now is the time to change your digital story, Stefan? I think as most of the people know, computer guys are not very social, so they don't go clubbing this and that. And I thought that I'm not like really good, uh, great piece of people person. For me, computers are logic. They do what you tell them to do. And so I also thought that technology is going to be the key to everything because pretty soon when people started using computers in the office and later on I moved to the private space and then they got portable. When I was working at this time at Microsoft, I realized the potential of it. If you set up a system and a corporation correctly, you can work from everywhere in the world and you don't need an office or anything else. And I, I found this fascinating that you can do whatever you want as long as you set up the foundation correctly and you don't need to to sit in a place 24-7 to do your job. That's what fascinates me most. Like right now, I'm operating all my businesses from a phone and a portable laptop. And that's just amazing for me. I'm done speaking. Great, great. 
many people are suffering not only because of the current pandemic, um, Stefan, but also because they did not prepare to change the way they do business in the digital era. They haven't embraced any technologies. They never expect that their traditional way of business was going to be impacted or suffered as it has or did with the pandemic that is still going on for the last one and a half year now. Um, the pandemic forces business owners to transform digitally faster now, especially in this digital era where we are in. We all know that it is a journey, not a destination. When it concerns digital transformation, what is your personal insights? In general, before the pandemic started already, corporations, no matter the size of the business, they always see IT investments like an un unwanted stepchild. One of my Forbes articles is talking about client-facing investments. So a company owner most of the time will make investments in something he can break to, to, to other customers. Like a fancy office, I have seen somebody who bought an $80,000 countertop but was not willing to invest $12,000 in his IT. And so... During a pandemic, I was very easy clear that the mindset and education was the biggest issue because we were actually transitioning corporations to be able to move from uh, work from home. And then it's interesting to see that when people say, oh, I'm working at, at my office, everything is safe, we have a firewall, antivirus, et cetera, et cetera. They, they left their secure behavior at the door when they left the office and I'm working from a Windows XP computer from home with no antivirus, but not understanding if they connect remotely to their company, they will actually be facing the same threats because you bring in a not secure computer to the company. So the, these corporations needed to make investments to secure these computers at home, save, setting up firewalls, et cetera. And then in general, almost no company in the world does information training for employees or educated even the boss what are the do's and don't do's and who to contact when stuff happens i think that is the biggest challenge is that we all get handed technology but almost nobody actually knows what it does and the corporations do not hand over manuals with do's and don't do's when they're handing out these technologies i think that is the biggest challenge because a lot of people got hacked a lot of people lost money and still do Yesterday, somebody was stolen in Dubai $32 million with a digital footprint and because people are just not well educated in this manner. And then yes, great. How do you think uh, corporations should, um, should do better in terms of letting, being safe, basically, in this unsafe cyber who where you know most of them are usually getting hacked or even yeah just get their um, data stolen what do you what do you suggest for corporations in this case there's no field as hot on the planet right now to get jobs and then in cyber security the mindset of corporations, no matter which country, which religion, religion, it doesn't really matter. The number one statement is always like, oh, I have nothing to lose or why should somebody help me? And I have an IT guy who takes care of everything. So the major understanding is that IT guys are hired to build your network. Cybersecurity guys are actually hired to destroy your network, find the security holes and work with your IT team to improve 
the the security gaps, the exploits, and and it's not a competition. It's not who does the better job. It's actually about the teamwork to prevent damage. I think that's the first and foremost part. Like right now, I'm in Mexico City, and I had some important meetings here. And the building that I'm actually in, the Wi-Fi is terrible, and I can see everybody's computer, and I can actually print to most of the printers in the building. And I actually gave them a step-by-step -step guide for the IT guy to set it up. And that's just it. People look for the price for the cheapest guy to do a job instead of asking for references. Do you have an ethical hacker certification? Do you have a security certification? So it comes down have to have a heart transplant. Would you get somebody from Craigslist or somebody who takes $15 an hour? Or would you do your research, ask for references and reputation to make sure the job is done well? And I think that is the biggest thing that it, it always comes down to knowledge and money that people don't do their, their research, they hire the wrong people. And it's most of the time to 98% when people do mistakes, it's money. Yes, correct. So now I like to get your thought and your insight more on the another aspect. What is your insight on women today embracing technology in this male-dominated world? How do you see the gender gap that still exists in each in this um, tech industry? I think it has changed a lot. I personally, like I just opened an office in Mexico City and every single person working for me is a woman. The reason why I'm most of the time not hire women, it's, it's, it's very simple. And I, I step on a lot of feet with uh, toes, of men's toes, but I really honestly don't care. So a woman has to work five times harder to get the same job than a man. A uh, woman will say, I did this, I did this, I did this. These are my results. Uh, most of the men that we actually interviewed, they were like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And when I ask them, what actually have you done? There's like a big gap. So if a woman has to work five times harder for the same job, you, I can guarantee you she gets the job done faster and probably in a better way. So a lot of corporations actually realize that. And I have connected with a lot of business executives here in Mexico City that are all in leading positions and they're really tough go-getters. So I think the industry starts to realize that uh, women can do probably a better job than a lot of men. And um, the government, they're actually looking at the resume and the certifications and the references, and then they look at the gender because they realize pretty quickly that they can do an equally good job. I think that's the biggest trend that I'm seeing in the last two years, no matter which country we do good business. That's very interesting that uh, you are employing more women now in uh, Mexico, like you said earlier. Do you believe women have a future in the digital space? As we know, currently, the numbers are still very low. Even the last I think it, the 2020, the 2020 numbers showed even like Microsoft, Amazon, they only uh, have 25% from the total employees are women. So how would you say to these companies to raise the numbers of women in their, in their company? I think they have to start at the bottom because it's not raising the numbers, it's the availability of women. When I gave my speeches for Microsoft uh, like from like 2019 to mid-2020, 
a gift of like nationwide about cybersecurity, the advertising that Microsoft was doing was actually colored in blue. And when they did a survey, because we had 100 people, 200, 300 people, and maybe five, five women, they figured out that the changemaker campaign for Microsoft was actually very visible masculine. So this year it's very feminine to attract more women. So if you look at our society, right? If you look at the advertising from any corporation, it's very feminine based. You have to wear this bag, you have to do this and that, but the military got the point and they actually do advertising to attract women as well. But the tech industry has not one advertising I can remember where it says, Hey, become a cybersecurity specialist. You are good as a man. So I think the. The interest is not raised that women actually see, wow, that's an interesting job. You can make, you start with six figures. You don't have to work your way up. And this is like something really interesting. If it's just simply, it's not promoted towards women. Uh, it's more promoted how you have to look, what you have to eat, how you have to wear your stuff. That's probably more the bigger challenge to get the interest awakened, you know? Yes, got it. What is the according to you what is the limitation or barrier for women to to be in the um, digital space or to embrace technology well i don't think there's a limitation i think it's just persistent because a friend of mine i grew up with she is the uh, regional market manager for apple and in germany she actually manages all the apple campaigns and she said she had to fight five times harder to get into this position than any man. So I don't think there's a limit. I think the women need to be more persistent and just 10 times tougher to get the same job. And they have to prove themselves more often that they can do either the same quality of job or a better job as far as I have seen it. Okay, great. What drives you to change the status quo, Stefan? Well, I don't really go by gender. It just happened to happen that the women I work with, they just got it done. For example, my PR agent, I hired three guys and it just didn't go anywhere. I hired a woman and four days later, I'm in GQ and I'm in Forbes, Mexico and stuff like that. And it's just simply based on my experience, they just get it done. That's just uh, how, how I found it. I When I was working last year with the IMO, the Coast Guard in the United States to secure super yards, we made, I gave a speech at LaGuardia Community College and they were like cybersecurity student and like from, from probably like hundred students, maybe 10 followed me on, on, on social media or connected with me and only one girl, she sent me her code and all, all the stuff she did. And she asked me if I can assist you and uh, her and if she can actually intern. And I was like, sure, absolutely. So she went with me to evaluate a super yard marina, et cetera, because and that's just what it is. If you have access to somebody who can help you in your field, ask to be helped and ask if you can intern or something. And almost everybody uh, will say, oh yeah, it was a nice speech, good to hear, blah, blah. But some person who is hungry will always search food. And I think that's more like where it needs to go. There needs to be more people being hungry and wanting to do the job. Yes. So you recently launched your book, The Decision, The Sky Is Not The Limit. Tell me your story, how you relate your story to becoming a game changer and a risk taker at the same time as an immigrant accomplishing the American dream. That's interesting because yesterday I had a video interview and I spoke exactly about that. Um, 
So I was adopted and I grew up with my adoptive parents and I was not like, it was a blue colored family. Like my, my family was like loading boxes into planes and stuff like that. So I was working in an assembly belt at Volkswagen, putting 279 truck batteries into trucks. So it was a no brainer job. And I just was probably depressed from it. And at some point I just couldn't take it and I changed. And then the magic moment happened when I had my birthday party and I was talking about, Hey, I should go to the United States to make business there because I have a German background and uh, basically everybody started cracking up and I was like, Hey, you're a fool. You're going to be homeless. Blah, blah, blah. Long story short, a week later, I immigrated into the United States with literally like a 30 day visa. And yeah, my friends were actually right. I ended up being homeless, but. In my book, the story literally shows how I turned the whole thing around and I built this global company and am where I am today. But I think the number one that I had was in general, I never give up. And that habit came probably from, from programming because if I couldn't fix something, I would spend 20 hours nonstop until something, until I actually got it done. And that's my my motto in life is you can get everything unless you stop. When you stop, you lose. And when people play soccer and they feel like, oh, we're not going to make it, that's the moment when you lose, not when the other people score the goal. And the book actually, because I'm very huge on philanthropy, the book is in four languages in 72 countries and 50% of the book will donate it in every country for kids with cancer. Uh, because I had cancer, I'm very big on helping people and bringing smiles back. If uh, I think if you're successful, you have to give back. That's just uh, a rule of the universe. That's so amazing, really amazing story. And the way you tell, actually, I want to ask more questions. And you mentioned earlier about being a philanthropist. You're really into philanthropy activities. And I'd like to understand from you what kind of philanthropy you mentioned you are um, helping a lot of cancer um, research what else um, are you doing in terms of philanthropy activities I think my grandfather said there's no good deed unless you do it right so it doesn't matter if you just help somebody carrying the groceries home or you donate a ton of money I started getting into philanthropy I was always taught by my family to help others, but I got into philanthropy in 2013 when I met a woman as a tourist in the United States and her daughter became terribly ill and was almost dying. And the woman was sleeping three months in, a, in an emergency room in a chair. And uh, so I made, made a fundraiser. And so long story short, I probably was one of the key parts that we figured out how to save her life. I mentored her. So she stayed in the United States and runs her own business now because the medicine was costing $1,000 a month, which you couldn't afford in Peru. The story is also in my book. And handing over the check selflessly from donations from all over the world was probably one of the best feelings I had in my life. And so I like that feeling. And the interesting part about philanthropy, I support kids with cancer, dogs that have been specially trained to to help uh, kids that are fighting cancers. Now I'm g uh, teaming up with Smile Through Cars. So the next two months, all my book sales will be donated to Smile Through Cars, which is a cause where Joshua will bring supercars like Ferraris, Porsches, stuff like that, to kids that are actually dying on cancer. The guy is just a superhero. His account is the real Batman. Every kid on his profile sadly passed away, and he just does such an amazing thing. And 
I think once you battle a disease and you get a wake up call, you realize that you can't eat money and that actually is useless. And I just look for whatever I can do. Like from every product stock is selling worldwide. We donate a dollar from each product and the book is donated in each country because you would be surprised what you consider the standard today. And then you figure out that 80% of the population would never be able to own an iPhone. So we are actually complaining on a very high level. And if we take half of what we have, we can actually do so much good. And that's, that's what I love to do. It doesn't matter how big or small a deed is. If you can do big stuff, do small things in a big way, that's where I'm going. And I, that's what I keep doing because it just feels good. Wow. Amazing. And um, so inspiring, Stefan, what you are doing for the for the cancer patients as well as for the research and you're giving back also through a lot of things and also with the book that you just launched recently so that's really amazing now my next question is technology your passion um, please share your story on what are the changes in your life since um, you decided to have your own businesses in uh, IT and cybersecurity Yes, absolutely. Technology is my passion, but um, by speaking in the last two years more and more about my passion, I realized that actually the passion is not technology. My passion, which is a double-bladed sword, is actually helping people. So uh, computer is just what I'm good at, and so that or technology is what I'm good at. So that's the, the tool that I'm using to help people. But in general, I like to help people and that with philanthropy, which also is very disappointing sometimes because you help people and they actually either don't want to be helped or they're abusing your kindness and then you feel disappointed about it. But I think especially today, even during the pand uh, pandemic, people don't realize the technology in your hand, the mobile phone, right? It connects you. You have the biggest audio and uh, audience in the world. You have a camera, you have a microphone, you have the best knowledge base in the world. So for me, I personally th think there's no more excuses for failure that people say, oh, I didn't know. You can research everything. You can languages, you can market your product, you can eat a middle and there's no limit what you can do with technology. So if people complain that they don't have money, then they haven't dig deep enough. And if you make a lot of money with technology, uh, you can do good things. And I think the passion is just how incredible wide the spectrum is of what you can do with technology and people just don't digging in the potential. Yes, that's so true. And what is your advice uh, for women who want to enter a digital tech business? The mic is yours. <laughs> yeah. So I've been asked these questions. I've been asked most of the time three questions. What would be my advice for people that start going into this business? In general, I would say figure out where your stronghold is because technology has, if it comes to basically what I think, there's four, four specters or columns of technology. If you are the guy or woman in this case who likes to sit in your room and read code and you're good in analytics and planning, then you might want to go into programming like coding and stuff like this. Then if you're great in like breaking things electronically, like reverse engineering, I would say go into security because hacking is done in ethical hacking, analyzing humans' behavior, pattern creating and stuff like this, and re reverse engineering. If you read a book, How to Secure Your Wi-Fi Router or Your Firewall, they tell you like, oh, click here, change the password. And a reverse engineering way of thinking, okay, if people don't change the password, that's my way to attack. So if you can read a book backwards, basically saying that you go into cybersecurity. If you 
you are fascinated by messaging and technology, then you might want to go into communications like email servers and stuff like this. If you're great in creating content and advertising, then you might want to go into the digital world of advertising because... Pardon? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, so I think, especially now that most of the corporations don't pay advertising for billboards anymore, and TikTok literally just started giving 10,000 accounts a swipe up function, which is not known, like, so people can get certified for TikTok for business advertising. Uh, that's another thing you can work for from a couch, create content, and manage advertising. So I would say find your niche in and just do your living best to become one of the best in the field so you can start and build your business. And you can basically do this from everywhere. Yes, awesome, awesome. How should how should women overcome their limitations or barriers to build and grow a successful business? What do you think? Don't feel intimidated. I think a lot of people, based on their the way probably they've been raised, I'll give you a very stupid example and it made me really sad. The girl that was translating my book into Spanish, she quit at 80% of the book. She quit as a chapter. The chapter was saying uh, 80% of the people quit close before the goal. The reason why she quit was literally tradition. So she had a conversation. She wanted to be a writer. She was probably a really good writer. And her family told her over the weekend, get a good job, get a husband, get blah, blah, blah. Don't be stupid. You can't be a writer. So she quit. So I would tell women, yes, there is a tradition. There is something that you have to do someday. You might want to have a family and if you build a business that you can do from your phone or from a computer anywhere in the world you can still have a family just dedicate your time but don't let tradition keep telling you that you can't do this kind of business you can't run a company you can have a family and run a company you just need to find a way to optimize it and just don't listen to people that want to push you into the into the cookie cutter shape where you have to fit into this traditional way of being a woman you know i think that is the challenge a man doesn't have a man has always been told to get a job yes awesome awesome really love your answers there stefan last but not least where can our listeners find you oh, my name is stefan leipold so if you google my name you find me what I like to tell people always is I'm a very approachable person. So if you have any questions or you, you need advice about your business, I'm happy to sign in. Yay. Send me a message on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Gosh, I have so many ways of communicating, even email me or stuff like this or schedule a 15 minutes meeting and we can just talk about it. People can find me everywhere and I'm very responsive. And if I'm traveling or something, my system will do it. But I'm always willing to help everybody and I'm very approachable. So if somebody has questions. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. So thank you so much, um, Stefan. After this interview, we will have questions and answer sessions. So I really want to thank you, Stefan Leopold, for being my guest on the Digital Women Power magazine uh, po podcast today. And I'm also very grateful to all, our, to all of our listeners if you enjoyed this conversation, I would love to invite you to share and listen to my colleagues' podcast at richwoman.co and follow us on Clubhouse at Rich Woman Magazine Club. Also join my top tech leaders and digital parenting world 
clubs, where together with the expert speakers, we help the global citizens and parents to acknowledge how technology is currently transforming our daily lifestyles by highlighting issues faced in this digital age and solutions to embrace and adapt to this the use of technology and digital. Thank you, everyone. This episode is sponsored by MTN Press. MTN Press is the publishing house behind niche publications like Richuman, Sovereign, and the Quantum of Light magazines, all British brands with a global reach. They deliver the good news straight to the desk of decision makers, the CEOs, presidents, CFOs, consultants, investors, influencers, bankers, PR agents, heads of global operation to name just a few. They also offer specialized support through a range of bespoke services, tools, and systems to help publishers like you grow both their presence and business. Whether you are running a blog, a niche magazine, or thinking to start one, their expert knowledge in the world of publishing can give you the tools and the expertise and the confidence you need to succeed. Check them out at mtnpress.co.uk or follow the link in the episode description.